Hello everybody and welcome back to our study that we're basing around the book of 1st John and chapter 4 and verse 4 and um, if you'd like to uh, go and grab a Bible or get the Bible up on your phone that would be fantastic um, as we're going to read the scripture once again from the book of 1st John and chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. <clears throat> you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I want to thank you, Lord God, that the word, the entrance of your word brings light. And Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you may illuminate our spirits by your word today. But Lord God, as we study the scriptures, but Lord, that you may uh, encourage us. Lord, that you may uh, even challenge us, Lord God, in the way that we're living our lives. But Lord, that we may change by the power of your Spirit to be better people, Lord God, that you can use in this world. Lord, once again, I want to thank you that you have promised to anoint my lips to enhance the kingdom of God. And Lord, that you were going to flow through me and use me as a conduit. So do it, I pray. Bless every ear that hears this, this word in Jesus' name. Last time I introduced the outline um, of the journey that God will be taking us on as we study the scripture. We concentrated on the one that's in the world, the spirit of Antichrist, and the way it has infected the world and even the church universal. We understood that it's everywhere and in every institution made by man. The spirit of Antichrist is inescapable in the world because it's already here. When I originally uh, wrote this in February 2020, something had just happened in the UK and we saw it openly manifest when the homosexual lobby forced the secular venues that were hosting Franklin Graham's ministry to ban him from speaking. Because of his hateful LGBT views. Those people didn't want to know about the God that loves them so much that he came to die for them. Those people didn't want to know about Jesus Christ, the one who came to save them and to set them free. We also saw last time that the spirit of Antichrist can be easily discerned and found out by asking one simple question. 
Do you acknowledge that Jesus is God in human flesh and came to dwell amongst us? Not just a good man, not just a teacher, but God incarnate himself. If anyone, be they monarchs or bishops or imams or priests or gurus or government officials or even your neighbour round the corner, if they deny that Jesus is God in human flesh, then they have and been influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. However, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Today we're going to find out a little bit more about the us, about the me's, about the you's, about the we's in that verse. I want to emphasise again that this verse is not about us. And I'm quoting myself from last time when I said, All we are is the middleman in a cosmic and spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of humankind. Yet what God does in us is the key to unlock victory for ourselves and for others. We're also going to be taking a look at how easy it is when you know and believe the truth to slip in and maybe even to believe a lie or an error. I'm now going to be brutally honest with you and with myself, as I usually am. The people that listen to this that are from our fellowship would know that. And I'm going to give you an example of how easy it is to fall into believing, maybe not a lie, but definitely what could be termed an error. One of my own favourite sermons that I preached was from the book of 1 John again and chapter 2 and verse 6, which says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And I emphasised how Jesus walked in love and in power and in humility and how we should walk in those same qualities. I preached it everywhere. I was given an opportunity to preach it at our previous fellowships in Ferndown, in both the medium and security, medium security and maximum security prisons in Manila. It was even one of the first sermons I preached in, our, in the fellowship that we now attend in Bournemouth. Man, I thought it was an amazing sermon. I thought it was so good that it was worth repeating. Now, on the outside, there was nothing wrong with it. Yet pondering it now, after all I've been studying these past couple of years, I've come to the conclusion that maybe, just maybe, I might have possibly got it wrong. And this is the question that provoked me to change my mind. Who on earth do I think that I am, that I thought that I could live and walk like Jesus? What a what a crazy, what a crazy thing to think. What That's preposterous. And I ask the same of you. Who do you think that you are? That you think that you can live and walk like Jesus? My friends, that's impossible. The truth is, we don't have anything in and of ourselves that 
will enable us to live like that. So we are literally on a fruitless quest, even if we try. Why is it like that? Our mistake and my mistake has been that almost like every Christian in, in the modern world, we believe that Jesus should be an example and the example of how to live in the world. Well, good luck with that. If we think like that, then Christian life becomes nothing but a method that misses out on the spontaneity of God. It's not about wearing a what would Jesus do wristband or a badge. If we think like that, maybe we've missed the point of Christ being in us who is the hope of glory. Listen, if we could walk like Jesus, who is perfect, then we'd be Jesus and we wouldn't need Jesus. We need Jesus because we cannot of ourselves live and walk like him. And the sooner we get to that understanding, then the easier it will be for Jesus to move in and through us, proving that he is indeed greater in us than he that's in the world. In other words, it's him living his life through us. Why would we rather strive and do it ourselves? All we do by trying is to live according to the law, instead of allowing him who fulfilled the law to live through us by his grace and by his spirit. By trying we fall short. In Romans 3.23 we know, says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in surrendering to him, there is victory. The truth is, we can do nothing in and of ourselves to affect anything around us. But he that is in us, wow. There's something else that we need to seriously consider and possibly rethink and pray through so that we can get out of the way of God and allow him to move in us and prove that he indeed is greater in us than he that's in the world. Now, I'm not saying that I've got this right. This is an opinion, but it's worth thinking about and discussing. And I apologise if once again you think I am treading on your toes. I don't mean to, honest. But if it's a sacred cow or an error in belief, then we need to address it and do something about it. With that in mind, let's talk about conditional promises in the Bible. And let's see if we can be persuaded to think differently about them. I've lost count of the number of times I have either said to myself or heard it taught from others that God would fulfil his promises to us if we meet the conditions. Now, is that true? I don't know. But if you think that that's true, don't you think that it might be us trying to live according to the law, if we're the ones trying to fulfil the conditions? Paul tells us, in Romans chapter 7 and verses 4 to 6, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, 
to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Ah yes, I hear you saying. But doesn't scripture also tell us that all God's promises are yes and amen? I say yes and amen. I love that Chris Tomlin song. Yes and Amen. It stirs the soul. But let's have a closer look at what that scripture from 2 Corinthians 1 and verses 17 to 20 is all about. And let's see what it really says. And we'll see it's about who fulfills the conditions to the promises. Paul here is talking about his desire and plan to visit the Corinthian church. He says this, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the, th the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, by Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him are men. To the glory of God through us. Now with that scripture in mind, I have another question to ask you. Why do we need to fulfil the conditions of those promises when they have already been fulfilled by Christ. It had nothing to do with Paul. He said, all the things I plan to do, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But in Christ was yes. The promises of God in him are yes. Why do we strive so much when we can chill out and let God do the work in us and through us? By thinking that it's down to us fulfilling the conditions, all we're doing is getting in the way of God himself. I respectfully tell you this morning, move, get out of God's way. Looking back. It's a lesson I learned a while ago, but I didn't really realise it. That was when I was praying to God for a wife. From my conversion in the summer of 1985 to late 1999, I prayed the same way. Lord, give me a wife like you promised. I did my part in looking, in trying to fulfil the promise. But it was a fruitless search. 
But something changed in late 1999 and I started to pray in a different way. I now started to pray, God, you said in Genesis 2 and verse 18, it's not good for a man to be alone. And in Proverbs 18 verse 22, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favour with you. And in Psalm 84 in verse 11, it says that no good thing will you withhold from him whose walk is blameless. Lord, you know that of myself I am not blameless, but I am blameless in Christ Jesus. It was only after I recognised that I was falling short that God answered the prayer. And you all know my wife. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are men to the glory of God through us. The only condition required for us is that we remain in him. John 15 verse 4, Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, having finished the introduction to the introduction, what is our small part, our minor role we play in this verse that we are studying? Firstly, to recognise that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. That it's all about the one who has made his home in us, who is greater. All we are to do is to humble ourselves before the Almighty and to believe as John the Baptist believed, that he must increase, but I must decrease. The NIV says he must become greater, I must become less. The New Living Translation says he must become more greater and greater and I must become less and less. And I really like what that says in the message. It says this, this is the assigned moment for him to move into the centre while I slip off to the sidelines. It's not about us. But it is about the greatness of our God who lives within us. It's not about thinking more highly than we ought to think about ourselves. It's about putting Christ above all. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen and Amen. May God's peace rest upon you all. In Jesus' name. Don't forget to subscribe and like and to share this video if you feel that uh, people that you know might benefit from hearing some of the things that we study here. Thank you very much once again. God bless you all. May the Lord bless and prosper you. In Jesus' name. Amen.